Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We have a family on the podcast, a family um, of six, but only if th- one of their children are here and the parents. It's the Markoff family. We have the dad, Rob Markoff, the mom, Kindle Markoff, if I said that right. Kindle. <laughs> Kindle Markoff, and their transgender daughter, Quinn Markoff. Welcome to the podcast. Quinn, will you just well introduce yourself for a second? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Quinn Markroft. I'm transgender. I have been out for about three, four, four years. years now. Yeah. Um, and I'm just living life. So I'm really glad you're here. Yeah. Tell us the pronouns you take on. So uh, I... My pronouns are she, her. Okay. Yep. And um, we'll talk more with Quinn, obviously, but we have um, Rob and Kendall with us. And just introduce your family. Let's have you do that, Mom. Uh, oh, how many okay. kids do you have? Just the range of your kids. Yeah, we have Quinn is our oldest, and she is 21. And then we've got Brighton, who's 19, um, Landon, who is 18, and Ashlyn, who's 14. So we've got Quinn, two girls and two boys. That's great. That is. And Rob and I serve missions in England at different times. Um, so we have that in common. Um, so thank Dad for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. And just as an overview for our listeners, um, this is a, a family that's LDS. The parents are LDS and have raised their family LDS. Quinn has stepped away from the church, um, still holds belief in God. And um, we started with prayer before we recorded. We hope that there'll be a spirit here that will be helpful to LDS parents that are raising an LGBTQ child. There's not a big owner's manual for that. (laughs) And a lot of parents kind of figure that out on their own or with other parents. And so that's one of the purposes of this podcast is to hear from these good parents and also to hear Quinn um, and hear her story and um, how... Um, this just has worked for her and how she's now in a better spot. She is currently a CNA, lives in Oregon, and really wants to spend her life becoming a nurse and just making other lives and blessing other lives. And I just remarkable that Quinn now wants to um, just spend the rest of her life serving others. So um, that's a little bit of overview for our podcast listeners. And um, we hope if you're LGBTQ, and early on this road, that the things that this family, and particularly Quinn, um, will share with you will be helpful for you as you're making your way forward. Um, I don't know if who wants to tell us, who wants to start? Let's ask Quinn. It's your story. So mm-hmm. tell us just your feelings with gender dysphoria, if that's a good term, and just yeah. where you felt there was this, whatever vocabulary you want to use. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so gender dysphoria is feeling like... First, we have to define it, but gender dysphoria is feeling that you are not your assigned gender or that your current physical appearance or current place in society doesn't match the gender you feel. And now um, I want to stress that some people feel gender dysphoria, some trans people feel gender dysphoria. But there is a good portion that also do not. So it's not required to have gender dysphoria to be trans. Interesting. Yeah. Explain that a little bit more because I've sort of used those terms as synonyms. Well, so some people 
are okay being their assigned gender, but might just feel better um, as a different gender. It's not, it's not, they don't necessarily have dysphoria to the point that I had or that some of us had, but they are still in the trans community for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my experience with uh, gender dysphoria is it started when I was really young. Um, I, uh, I remember being four years old and just going into the basement of our house in Kaysville, Utah. And just uh, when I was alone, I would pretend I was a girl. And um, yeah, so I uh, like even then I kind of knew that it wasn't appropriate for me to do that, uh, at least in our uh, culture, just because nobody else did that. And there wasn't a precedent for people who were assigned male at birth to be to act like a woman. And like, I've, I hadn't seen that at all, uh, throughout my younger years. And now, um, when I, uh, so I, I kind of pushed that back until I was about 16. And when I was 16, I started kind of exploring, um, exploring my gender identity. Um, now, uh, I somewhat left the church when I was about 15, was it? Um, and, uh, I was atheist for a good, good while. Um, and, uh, so through that atheism, I was able to kind of, I guess, explore other aspects of life, I guess, um, explore that, explore what's, LGBT people were and like who they were. And that's when, when I was about 15 or 16, that's when I kind of learned the term transgender. And this was actually about when the, uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner thing was going on. Um, and so it was up in the media, but it wasn't portrayed as a positive thing in most media here in Utah. And, um, it was just, it was very interesting to say the least to see, um, to finally see a trans, uh, trans person be like, oh, that, that's what I am. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm a woman. And I didn't have the vocabulary before that, but, um, yeah, so, uh, but I had a lot of dysphoria because I, I had a lot of shame as well because I felt like being trans was wrong. Like you don't, you don't see it, uh, often in Utah, um, unless you're active in the LGBT community. Um, and I was the only trans person I personally knew when I came out. I, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't known any other trans person. Like I, talked to trans people online before I came out, just trying to suss out my gender identity and figure out what is what in the trans community. And that was a learning process, but it felt right to do that, if that makes sense. So I came out in 2016, January, 20, January of 2016. 
from that, uh, I kind of fell into a depression just because, um, I guess society kind of, well, so if you're trans in Utah, you get stares. That's just kind of a I fact think if of you're matter. trans anywhere, it's, it, it's been, it's gotten better over the last, I would say 10 years, Yeah, but I, I'd say transgender people are marginalized in lots of different yes they're marginalized the all all over but uh utah in particular i feel like has and when you said i get stares is that the term you use get what what did, did you you get stares what did people say to you what did you say uh i get stares yeah um okay so yeah. i thought you said yeah yeah, uh, like just people will look at you if you're in public with a dress and have a voice like mine. Or um, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel alienated, honestly. Like it makes me feel. Uh, at first, it made me feel like I was doing something wrong. Um, but uh, after a while, you just you have to move past that. You have to um, realize that they have their own thoughts on the matter and realize that what you're doing is not bad. It's not wrong. And you have to erase your own shame about that because shame was a big part. Um, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but my uh, mental health struggles have been quite extensive. Um, and the reason for that, or one of the reasons for that is because I held a large amount of shame around surrounding the surrounding being transgender. And, um, that's really, uh, just that hurt me. And there was shame from the LDS friends that I had. There was shame from the church. Like it just, I, I didn't know that I needed to be so strong when I came out, wow. but I, I learned that it was a tough learning curve, but I learned that eventually. Do you uh, get sta stairs in Portland? Um, yeah. So I recently moved to Portland, Oregon, and I actually haven't noticed stairs. Yeah. Um, it might just be because Portland is an extremely LGBTQ community. Like it has a large LGBTQ community. Um, it could also be because nobody cares about anybody in Portland, but, uh, do they yeah. not care about people or do they not care what you look like or a little bit of both? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> There's a huge homeless population in Portland and like really? nobody really does anything about it, but mm -hmm. so, yeah, um, that's a different subject, but Talk about your emotional health for our listeners. Did you um, become suicidal? Yes. Uh, so that is a long story. Um, when I was about 14, I started going to therapy for depression and self-harm. Um, I uh, was a chronic self-harmer, and I still struggle with it today. Like, I'll just have random triggers at times. Um, like, I was cutting a pomegranate the other day and just the color of the juice triggered me. But, um, I, I am still working on self-harm, but I have been doing uh, quite a bit better with that. 
But my mental health history has spanned probably the last six years. Six yeah. or seven years. Seven years. Um, and it was a slow progression into a downward spiral, I guess. Um, when I was 14, I started going to therapy and I... Uh, was not doing good. This was before I kind of knew that I was trans. Um, and I continued going to therapy until I was 17, right? And when I was 17, that's when I came out, um, but also when I graduated high school. And I became extremely depressed just because I was stared at, I was judged, and then I had my own mental problems going on as well. Um, and I was hospitalized for the first time in the summer of 2016. And uh, for people who don't know, uh, a hospitalization for a mental health issue is they basically take you to a secure, uh, a psych ward, and uh, they either they either medicate you, they search treatment options, you get a social worker, all of that stuff. Now, um, after that first hospitalization, I was hospitalized a second time and went to a place called Youth Care. Um, very great place. I still remember that place fondly. It was a uh, residential treatment for youth under the age of 18. And now I aged out of youth care in October of 2016, and that was a sad parting because I felt safe in youth care. I felt safe for myself there. Um, but after that, uh, there was I continued to spiral downwards. There was a string of hospitalizations. Um, there was also... Uh, there was a rehab facility. I don't struggle with substance use, but um, I uh, we were at a rehab for facility for a while. Um, and then uh, in when did I start ECT? Was it? It was in two thousand um, seventeen in the mm -hmm. summer late summer of 2017, you started ECT up at the University of Utah's um, Treatment Resistant Mood Disorders Clinic. Yeah. Yeah. So I started ECT. And uh, for those of you who don't know the acronym, it's electroconvulsive therapy. And so what they do is they uh, place electrodes on your scalp, uh, usually uh usually one on your forehead and one on the back of your head. And uh, they induce a seizure. Now, all of this is under anesthesia. There's no, like, writhing about or anything. It's just a seizure in your brain. Um, and uh, over time, what that does is that changes the neural pathways in your brain. And uh, neural pathways are kind of like rivers. Um, the longer they flow, the more you think certain thoughts the more deeply ingrained they become. And now... Um, what a great visual. I've never heard anybody articulate that as well, Quinn. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thanks. Um, so now my neural pathways were a 
deep trench of depression and suicidal ideation and self-harm. And, and I, self-hatred. Self-hatred, There was yes. that internalized shame and self-hatred. That yeah, the drove. internalized shame played an, a very large part in my um, depression. But what the ECT did was it carved a new river, if that makes sense, a new canyon. Um, it's made it so that my only thought so that water was diverted into this other canyon. The water of thought was diverted into this other canyon. Um, and uh, that allowed me to begin to recover. And now I did uh, ECT for two years, uh, which is longer than most people are treated for with ECT. Um, and we finally stopped in, was it February of 2019? January. January. Right there. Yeah. yeah. January or February. And um, so uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. You were just what? telling us about ECT. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it what it did, we did the whole river flow thing. It created a new pathway. And now the old pathways are still there. I, I still spiral sometimes. But I've gotten a lot better at spotting when I'm starting spotting. to use those old pathways. And when I am, I uh, take action to make sure that I'm safe and that I can continue to be happy, if that makes sense. But uh, from February of 2019 to present, um, I have been doing amazingly well for myself. Like I have this mood tracking app. And if you look in 2018, um, my mood was consistently depressed or anxious. Um, and starting in March of 2019, uh, my mood was more calm. It was less depressed. It was, um, and then getting into the summer after I well, so yeah, um, getting into the summer and fall, uh, my mood has continued to improve and that's been a plethora of things. There's just a conglomerate of different coping mechanisms that I've had to adapt and different lifestyle changes I've had to adapt. Um, like I guess using my phone less, um, and finding real world applications for my energy, if that makes sense. Um, I, I took up knitting and believe it or not, that's a great coping skill. Um, and I, uh, I try to stay active. I, uh, I make sure to take time for myself, even though, even when I'm busy, because I know that a little time now is better than a week in the psych ward, if that makes sense. But yeah, um, and then it would be hard to uh, talk about me getting better without bringing up my uh, partner, uh, Ren. Um, they are amazing. We started dating in about April. And uh, they, they are a very stabilizing presence for me. Um, and uh, I moved in with them in September, actually. But... Yeah, that's why I, well, not the only reason, but that's the, one of the reasons I moved to Portland, but yeah, uh, so that's pretty much my mental health history, if that makes sense. 
Um, thanks for sharing that. And I realized that could be several hour podcast. And I, and I know you went pretty quick there on some really difficult chapters of your life, but yeah. I learned some things from you about um, that I won't forget. And I have a little bit of that. I think of, I do some of the same thought process and I thought, oh, that's really cool what you've been able to do, Quinn. Yeah. Um, and just the hope you're giving to other um, people with mental illness or mental challenges or however we term that, as well as um, people that are LGBTQ. And shame is yeah. a consistent, um, your mom has chimed in a couple times with that word. And I've thought a lot about that word. Talk about um, the role your parents played. Um, so. Because they're, yeah. us parents, you know, we, this is just an unusual parenting situation where there's not a lot of owner's manuals and a lot of yeah. church lessons that sort of say, oh, I go here and this is how I do this. Um, so the support of my parents has been extremely important. It has probably been the determining factor of my getting healthier and not staying sick or not being dead, if that makes sense. Um, my supportive parents, honestly, uh, they are the reason I'm alive today. And they didn't understand at first the whole trans issue, um, but they worked on it. They, uh, My mom did tons and tons of research, and um, like there was never a period where I didn't feel loved by them. That's cool. And that I think parental support is extremely important for our LGBT youth. Um, just because they're your parents. I mean, would would you like to part with your parents at 17 or 16? Like uh, at 16 or like in your early teenage years, whenever people come out, you're still heavily dependent on your parents emotionally as well as physically. And if they reject you or say that you can't do this or can't do that, um, or like if you can't express yourself appropriately for your age, then it really damages your relationship with your family and damages your relationship with your parents. Um, I would like to stress that um, keeping the family the family unit together is a big part of LDS culture and. Um, the best way to do that with LGBT children is acceptance. And that's the fact of the matter. So, And we're going to hear from your parents in a second. That's a great tribute to them. Um, talk about when you stepped away from the church. How did your active LDS parents, I'm sure that they had some good days and some bad days as they were managing that. Yeah. And it's how... You know, what advice would you have, I guess, for other LDS parents and using your own family situation? Or what did they do well in this whole process of you stepping away that was helpful for you? Um, so I have always known that my parents have loved me. And so I felt comfortable to make the decision on my own to step away from the church. Um, and that allowed me to, like... Um, if they were extremely strict, I still might not have believed, but I would have been forced into it, if that makes sense. And forcing people into church activities is not great if you 
if you've ever been forced to do something, it's not good, especially as a teenager. But um, yeah, I, I fell away from the church in, I want to say 2015, 2014, maybe. Yeah, one of the two. One of the two. Um, and I was atheist for a long time just because I was a very angry teenager and I um, I didn't like a lot of the practices of the church. Um, and now uh, I you mentioned that I do believe in God at the beginning of this podcast. And I... Um, I would like to say I found God in this last year, actually, and I chose to believe in a God just because it comforted me to believe. Um, and now I'm not LDS, but I'm not as angry as I used to be. Um, like, I respect LDS people. Um, my My parents are LDS, and I... I respect them for the most part. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've had a journey when it comes to spiritual beliefs and all of that, but yeah. That's a good answer. I sometimes talk about deconstruction and reconstruction in the sense that yeah. some people go through a deconstruction phase of what they believe, what they don't believe, and then they start to reconstruct. And some people go all the way to being atheists and then after a period of time they reconstruct yeah and so maybe that's what's happened here and i but i admire your humility um and your thoughtfulness to just not dig your feet in your heels in or whatever visual that we sometimes do and just say i'm going to be open yeah and that you've been able to reestablish your belief in god and i think that takes a lot of courage because that there's a lot of pain I would assume associated just with your journey that can be triggering at times. So I admire you kind of leaning back in that pain, Quinn, and mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to keep this door open to God. And, and I admire that. It, I mm -hmm. think that's a sign of great courage on your part and great emotional strength to say this God at times that's maybe even let me down or has caused me pain or where has he been in my journey that, that you've said, I, now I'm going to, be open to reconnecting with God. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't Is that say okay if, or or clarify yeah. that. I want it to be your story. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that God has ever let me down. Okay, good. I would say that God had a plan for me. I love that, that. Makes sense. I love that. Um, now, like, because of my mental health struggles that are quite extensive, I have become a much more compassionate person. I've decided to dedicate my life to becoming a nurse or a CNA, and I've wanted I, I I want to help lessen the suffering, and there is suffering abundance here, and I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I read this quote a lot on the podcast, listeners. Um, it's the wounded healer quote. It's the most read quote I do on these podcasts, but it's. I think of you, Quinn, when I read this, a minister's service, and that's who, you know, I think you are, maybe not in a religious sense, but in a way that you're serving others, will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think 
others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. And so, I mean, talk about deserts that you know. Yeah. And the pain of those deserts and the lessons of those deserts. But Quinn, your ability through the rest of your life to lead people out of these kind of deserts and give hope and healing, you will save and you probably already have saved so many lives. And so thanks for being alive. And the God I believe in, you know, I don't know what the, his plan is exactly for you, but I wouldn't rule it out that everything that's occurred in your life is part of his plan for you yeah. and that you're not off track and something didn't go awry, but this is part of your mission. And now you have all these decades ahead of you to help people. Yeah. And so I don't know. I wouldn't rule that out though. Yeah. And um, are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, I want to get your parents talking in a second, but talk about Ren. When you talked about Ren, your your partner, you use they, them. Just yes. educate our listeners on why you didn't use um, whatever. <laughs> they, they, them pronouns. Yeah. yeah. So um, Ren is non-binary. Um, and now that's uh, non-binary people don't identify as a woman or a man, if that makes sense. Like uh, they are under the trans umbrella um, because they're not a gender that they were assigned. Um, but uh, they um, they just are fine being them without the label of being a man or being a woman. And uh, it's, it's the same thing as transitioning from uh, male to female, depending on, like, what you, like, depending on how extensive and like non-binary it's not just one third gender it's kind of a spectrum but a weird triangle thing there's people all over the scale there's people who are comfortable using they them and he him pronouns or they them and she her pronouns it's just um non-binary is a general term for anybody who doesn't identify in the gender binary and the, what's the best thing that we can do to understand what what pronouns someone should use? So do I just ask? Yeah. Um, I mean, in the gay utopia, uh, everybody would ask their pronouns, but I understand that that's not probable or logical. But when getting to know someone, usually they'll let you know. Um, but it's also very nice if you ask. Uh, I know that I don't tell my pronouns to everybody. I do present somewhat masculine with my voice. Um, and if somebody asks my pronouns, I tell them. Or if somebody asks if I'm a boy or a girl, I, I tell them. Um, are you triggered or upset when they ask? Or are you glad they ask? Or does it a range of... Can you tell maybe sometimes people are asking with not an honest heart? Um, so... Most of the time, if somebody asks what your pronouns are, they are fairly open. Um, just because using that verbiage, like using what your pronouns are, that sentence uh, takes, like, just, you can tell that they've learned a little bit about the LGBT community and they might be an ally or um, what what have you. But uh, with 
I'm sorry. You, there was another part of that question. Um, just, are you okay when people ask? And I think you yeah. mostly answered that. I mean, like, I, I'm okay with it. I can't speak to all of the trans community or the non-binary community. Um, but I myself am okay with people asking because it's my goal to educate. Um, now, some people have had trauma over people messing up their pronouns on purpose or uh, committing acts of aggression after they figure out their pronouns. And so they might get scared or offended. Um, and that's their that's their thing. And it's not wrong for them to do that. It's just it's a response that is built from the trauma of our culture. But, yeah. That's helpful. Um, Kendall and Rob, um, just we this could be a couple hour podcast just hearing your journey. This is so just maybe whoever wants to start just Quinn and realizing that there's something different here and trying to figure all this out. Well, so we um, started to we knew that something was going on with Quinn in her early teenage years. I think once she started hitting puberty, she became really despondent and, and depressed and um, became isolated and withdrawn. And so we were really trying to reach her and ended up getting her in some therapy. Um, I'm an LCSW myself. And so Can I you define that what that is. It's for a us? licensed clinical social worker. Okay. And Thank you for your service yeah, to our community. Yeah, and I, I tease my kids. I wish I had that degree now. Yeah, totally. You'd it would be great. It's so not too late. it's not too late. <laughs> that's what they actually suggested that last night at the dinner table. <laughs> you should do it for sure. It's not too late, and that we need more. We need more people out there doing what I do. And everybody needs a therapist. Yes, they do. So we had, we knew my husband and I both kind of knew and had looked at the signs of depression. We knew she was depressed and got her help early on. Um, in in those angsty, <laughs> angsty years, um, and that we we I think there were times in that period where we were frustrated that she wasn't responding how we thought that she should mental health wise. And so obviously there was kind of more to the story that we didn't know or understand. Um, but we kept pretty good communication open during that time. And we'd check in with Quinn. And I think when she decided to leave the church, yeah, it was really hard, but my husband and I have always had this belief that we are stewards over our, with our children and that they're, they are the Lord's and how important that is. And that, you know, whatever needs to happen. I think it's hard because in this culture, if your kids leave the church, it feels to a lot of parents, like there's so much shame around that for parents. And honestly, I feel like if we allow our kids to be who they are and figure that out and that the Lord has them and he has them just like he has us. And, and so we tried to let Quinn kind of move within the love of our home to kind of figure out her spiritual, her spiritual path and her journey. So that was kind of part of it. Do you have any other thoughts? Oh yeah. The, uh, the battle, what the battle wasn't between, uh, whether she goes to church or whether she doesn't go to church, whether she's transgender, whether she's not, the battle was keeping her alive. 
right? That was the real importance. And uh, this, the, the way to do that is to just love her, you know, and she can make up her own decision, whether she's trans or, or not trans or what she wants to do. My job is to, to love her and, and to be the support and, and, you know, still be honest and still, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'd rather you do this or that, but I love you regardless, you know, because this is really your choice, not my choice. Well, I got some tears in my eyes and Quinn just put her hand on her dad. And as he's talking about loving Quinn and to me, you didn't, you just honor, you, you implemented the doctrine of our church. You, you know, what you did was just what we're asked to do. You didn't have to invent something to do what you did. Um, talk about shame. I think when parents sometimes have a child that steps away, they look inward and say, well, I didn't, we kind of sometimes have this feeling that if we do everything right as LDS parents, all our children will stay in the church. And I'm, and a lot of families, parents, there's a lot of grief in parents' hearts right now with adult children that step away or even teenage children. And they look inward and say, it's my fault. Absolutely. And I, you know, so there's a difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is I have done something bad. I've done something wrong. And shame is I am bad. I am wrong. And I think with our, with our LDS culture, often when kids leave the church, there is a lot of blame and uh, with blame accompanies shame. And, and I think shame is very, it's insidious and it eats at our souls, you know, and it makes us feel, um, inherently worthless. And ultimately I think that's Satan's plan, right? To say you're worthless. You don't deserve happiness. You don't deserve to be, you're not loved. And if he can get us to believe that we're not lovable, then he wins. And so I feel like we have to, and we've really worked on that in our own lives is overcoming our own shame. Because I think, um, with a lot of parents who have LBGTQ kids, I think there is some shame um, for no reason, because these are God's children. Why would there be shame? But I think for some reason we've adapted a belief about the world that says that if we have kids who leave the church or have kids who go astray or have kids who are LGBTQ, and those are not necessarily mutually uh, exclusive, <laughs> Um, that somehow we have done something bad or we are bad. And that's just not true. It's just not. This is great stuff. Kendall, thank you. Rob, any more thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, I had the privilege for, for work to, to go to Singapore and, and help some other engineers uh, learn, learn the system we work with. And I met some non-Christian people who... When I would look at them, I would say they would know our Savior's voice. You know, uh, his sheep know their master, uh, kind of going along with those scriptures. And, and I look at what Quinn does, and I think, would, would Quinn know our Savior's voice? And I would say yes, unequivocally. You know, she's there, she's serving, she's loving, she's, she's caring. And, and she is one of those who, who would know our Savior's voice when he calls. And, uh, you know, that's been been a great, you know, it's very important to me that, that I would know my Savior's voice too. You know, and I, I think that if we keep that in mind and, and realize that 
we do not have a monopoly over people who will know the Savior's voice. You know, it's not pre a prerequisite to be married and sealed in the temple and everything to hear your Savior's voice. You know, it's it's something that people learn. They they learn from the heart. They they know what's right and wrong intrinsically. And uh, and and I think that's probably one of the greatest things about Quinn is, is she's not worldly. She's she's not into getting rich or trying to make a million dollars before she's twenty five. Uh, she wants to help people. And she wants to love them, and she wants to use the the things her burden and the things she's learned from that to to be better and, and to help other people. How does it make you feel, Quinn, to hear your parents talk like that about you? Um, it, it brings up uh, emotions. I. Um, I don't get teary-eyed often, but, uh, it's brought tears to my eyes. Just, um, I, it's been a while since I've heard my, uh, dad speak on that level of, about me and Dads I, are like that. We don't say that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I hope that I can live up to half of the things he just said, so. What a great tribute, though. You deserve that tribute, Quinn. I wish our listeners could feel the spirit I feel around, Quinn. I feel such a calm spirit about you, and I feel a very mature spirit about you. I guess you're 21, <laughs> but I just, your, your maturity and your life experiences is way beyond 21, and your capacity to help others um, is way beyond 21. I mean, like, I already knit, so I'm basically 70, so. <laughs> we, we, that's funny. Um, I want to, go ahead, Quinn. I've been told I have an old soul before, but it just depends. Do you believe in, as you're reconstructing, do you believe in a pre-earth life, a pre-mortality? Is that part of um, the belief you hold or not hold? Or Jury's out. Okay. I, what a great answer. Jury's out. I love that answer. I, yeah, I, I'm not afraid to say that I don't know. I don't know about premortal existence, but I also don't know much. I only know my own experience, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I and I, I love the thoughtfulness of juries out. To me, that's intellectually a great place to be. Um, mm -hmm. Intellectually, there's a phrase I can never remember, but sometimes we're so sure about things. Prideful, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, here's a, a, an excerpt for this book I'm writing. This is from a mother of a transgender son. Um, and I just like what she has written here. We don't need to count LGBTQ popula population to know we're in the last days. There's evil around us for sure, and Satan is having a heyday. I don't believe his work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, he takes this precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no, God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. He also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to, tell fam to tear families apart and drive people away from God. He is succeeding because he is not because this group is being deceived and are now gay trans. He is succeeding because he is keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love, 
we could do better to help these members heal these members who are hurting because they feel they have no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest. The answer to overcoming Satan, strengthening family, and strengthen families and bring people to Christ is love. Any any thoughts on that? Is there anything in there that you like or don't like, Quinn? Um, I I did like most of it, uh, or I think all of it. I didn't have any uh, qualms with it, but uh, I um, I would agree with that statement. I mean, uh, Satan. I I don't know if I believe in Satan on in my own, but in the LDS doctrine, Satan's job is to tear the family apart. And this divide between LGBT people and their families is Satan's work. It, 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 is, not, um, it is not of God to shun your child. I don't think God would ever willingly cause harm. I think, I think he knows that we do cause harm, but... I think he also forgives us for that. So good comments. Yeah. Any comments, mom or dad, from that statement? I that, I think her statement is spot on. Is I think so many of us have been afraid to, for some reason, LGBTQ kids have been or LGBTQ people, and I don't know culturally why, but have been shunned, and I I think how painful that is for those members. I mean, if you can imagine being the person in every church meeting that feels worthless and feels like they're bad because of who they are and how painful that is, you would not want that for a single soul ever. Um, And I just think our Heavenly Father, He loves these children so much, um, just like He loves all of us. And if Satan had a job, it would be to put into the hearts of, of the parents and, and the children that they're worthless or that their children are worthless and create these experiences where we have so much shame. And being a mom of Quinn has, has blessed me a ton and I've learned a ton. I, as a therapist, I've worked with transgender people and gay people the whole time, but um I think in my mind, I saw them in a, as other, it's not honest. like me. It's honest. Yeah, but they are me. They're no different than me. And I can't judge or shun myself, you know? <clears throat> so, you know, I feel like that's been the biggest growth for me is that I wish that we wouldn't actually label LBGTQ because <laughs> it's like we're people. We're sons and daughters of God. We're children of a God who loves us. That's what matters. It's not the titles. It's not the those things that keep us apart. Rob, any thoughts on that statement or any of the comments you want to chime in on? Yeah, I think that, um, well, one having Quinn has taught me more things than I wanted to know, you know, and brought me to the, the grips of, you know, the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And it doesn't say correct your neighbor. It says, love your neighbor. And, um, 
That's a pretty good comment you just said, by the way. <laughs> well, and it's so much more, you know, if someone is struggling and you don't condemn the sin, you don't talk their sin out, you give them what you need, what they need, what they love. And I think one of the, when Quinn was really struggling, um, they would say how, or she would say how alone they felt, how deeply alone and how painful that was. And I think one of the things with Ren is, is she doesn't feel alone. She has that connection. Everyone needs that connection. And, and I think even normal members, any member or any human being needs that connection. They need to be understood. They need to be able to communicate that's that. And, um, and I think that, you know, all this, you know, we sin, you know, sin is a part of life and we don't need to focus on each other's sins. We need to focus on loving each other and helping them from where they are. I love that. Once um, I wrote on Facebook, just sort of, you know, honoring my transgender friends. I don't have to, and calling them by preferred name and recognizing their gender identity. I, I, I came to the conclusion I don't have to give up anything in my church to do that. There's not a, there's not a, I tried to think, what am I giving up by doing that? And then the more I thought and prayed about it, I thought, no, I'm doing just what you did, Rob. I'm honoring um, and following the great commandments of love, you know? And so it's taken me um, just, and I had to meet, the other thing I talk about is the trap of unearned opinions, is I had developed a lot of opinions about transgender people without ever talking or listening to transgender stories. And then my heart got a little softened and I said, I probably need to listen to transgender people if I'm going to understand. And that's when things really change for me. Um, and so I just think I like to teach, let's don't develop opinions about people, groups of people until we either say no opinion or the jury's still out. Like you said, just kind of, I don't know or get to know people. So I love, I love that, that you're teaching there. And I love, you know, some people will say, well, this is a sign of the last days and Satan deceiving his children into being trans. And that's, I know you cringe when you hear that, Quinn, because <laughs> um, that just adds to your load. And you've heard that. And people have probably told that's what's happening to you. And I don't believe that. That's why I love this quote, too, from this mother of that sought personal revelation for a transgender child. And, and Satan's role, I don't believe, is to deceive people. No one would want to be LGBTQ that I know. They're, it's sort of like, this is painful. I'll choose that road. Um, as you've communi clearly communicated, this is something you felt from a long time. And to me, you're not being deceived. This is who you are. But Satan's role is to create shame and isolation and loneliness and split families apart. And hes I believe in Satan, but I don't believe he's deceived you. Um, <clears throat> any thoughts on that kind of tender subject? I had a couple of thoughts as you were talking. Um, one that I think is actually really important is that there is some really good science behind um, this issue with transgender uh, people. And that for years, um, we've known about intersex people, people are, who are born with uh, both genitalia and um, who who at birth were their birth, their gender was assigned at birth, but as they grow older, they don't feel like they were a female 
you know, say they're assigned gender at birth, they were born with both parts. They ended up with female parts, but they don't feel female. And those inner struggles, that's would be kind of what Quinn was talking about with gender dysphoria. So we know that scientifically there are, there's a broad, gender is a very broad um, spectrum. And a lot of times we're very binary in how we see gender. You know, there's either male or female, and it looks like this. However, that's actually not the reality. The reality is people are on this gender spectrum, um, whether they have those parts or not. And there's great, there's some great research that, that people can do about the brain, about, um, there's one study that I'm thinking of that I have read about that, um, they tested the brains of transgender women and compare, so those are male to female transgender women, uh, post-mortem. And they looked at other women and other men post-mortem and looked at their brain structures and the transgender female brain looks just like the female brain. Cool. Not the male brain, cool. even though they were born with those male parts. So it, the jury is out. And while the jury is out, we can, we can make a choice to, to be afraid and to shun or to categorize because our brain automatically wants to do that because our brain is looking for the path of least resistance, right? We want to categorize people and things so that it makes it because we're lazy. Our brains are lazy. They want to make sense of these things. Um, and when we can't make sense of it, then we become afraid. And I think just because we can't, we don't totally know what's going on doesn't mean we have to be afraid. There is a space for every single one of us and to have faith. So faith to me is believing that there is a plan when you guys, you and Quinn both talked about that there's a plan for her. And I a hundred percent believe that hundred percent, you know, and that God knows what that plan is. Um, along those lines of science, um, let me just um, read an excerpt from this book that'll be out in the end of 2020. And this is my chapter talking about um, transgender. And the title of this little section is her, her Historical Perspective. Perhaps we're at the beginning stages of understanding something not understood by society. There are certainly many examples in the past where society, society made incorrect conclusions and we look back and cringe. With our current understanding, we might even assume if we lived back then, we wouldn't have made the same mistake. My wife and I watched the movie Harriet, and, and I wondered if I lived during her day how I would have responded to Harriet Tubman's heroic work freeing slaves. Would I have supported her or would I have fought against her? I recently wondered if I had lived in Salem, Massachusetts in, 19, in 1693 with only the knowledge of that day how I would have behaved during the Salem witch trials. I'm not sure which decision. I'm not sure I would have made the correct choice. This historical perspective causes me want to be humble, teachable, with a willingness to learn when presented with the complicated issues of our day, to take on the humility of Nephi. And I said unto him, I know that God loveth all of his children, nevertheless I do not know the meaning of all things. And then I go on to talk about Catherine Schweitzer, who in 1967 ran the Boston Marathon. And as she ran that marathon, a race official ran and tried to take her number off. 
because the assumption in 1967 is women were too frail to run marathons. And then in 2017, 15 years later, Catherine ran the marathon again with the same number and crossed the line as a celebrated finisher. Um, no one questioned the ability of a woman to successfully run a marathon. What changed? Most, and my answer is most of us personally know a marathon runner, and science has taught us that women can finish marathons. What hasn't changed is that Heavenly Father always knew his daughter could run marathons. He wasn't surprised. His laws didn't change, but he let us figure out that for ourselves. So I make the parallel to our transgender friends. Maybe in the future, hopefully less than 50 years, we will fully understand our transgender friends with the added knowledge science provides, giving us insight just as someone feels their biological sex doesn't match their gender identity. Perhaps Heavenly Father's letting us figure out for ourselves. In the future, maybe we will watch a movie about brave transgender members of society, like Quinn. Your name's not here, Quinn, but I just added that. Uh, from today and leave the movie with tears in our eyes for them heroically walking a road few of us understand. Maybe we wish we could go back in time and better support them. So what do we do today? We just do what the Marcroft family is doing. It's not written here, but so that's just kind of some of my thoughts as I've been trying to um, think about this and do it in a really thoughtful way. Any thoughts on that little segment? Um, so I just had a thought Good. about the, um, so it, it wasn't on the segment, but it was about something you said earlier. And, and I would just like you to know and like our audience to know that I don't believe that God sees being trans as a sin. I don't think that, Satan would even have reason to deceive us because it is not wrong to be trans. Um, and I firmly believe that. Um, and it's taken me years to reach that conclusion because of the internalized shame and internalized hatred. But, um, and to your, uh, your reading there, I, uh, I hope to be an inspiration eventually. I, don't know that I will, but, um, you already are. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but I would agree. I think that this issue is evolving and, uh, in 50 years, hopefully in my lifetime and hopefully in your lifetime that we're able to look back and, love our trans brothers and sisters. Great, Quinn. Any final comments? Oh. Um, Kindell, Rob? I had one. Um, I, it, it seems to be a debate uh, among among some people whether they were born with this or whether this came about by other means. And then when the resurrection, will they still be the same as they are now or not? And, you know, I don't know. That's not my job. My job's to love, right? And uh, we get so caught up in trying to define this and define that. Well, you know, it, it could. It depends. Is probably the greatest answer. Is is it depends. We don't know, you know. And what we do know is what we need to act on. And we know that we need to love each other. And we know that 
we need to not judge. And we know that we need to deal with people with where they're at. I would just say, um, I am so grateful for, I'm going to cry, sorry, but I am so grateful for the opportunity to be Quinn's mom. And what a blessing it's been, even though it's been hell. Honestly, there's been some really, really, really hard, horrible things that have transpired over the last four years. And we've been in pain and there have been dark days. But how proud I am of you, too, as we're sitting here. I'm like, wow, look how far she's come. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have my heart changed and to hopefully be more accepting and loving to no really loving not just accepting not just tolerating there's a difference between tolerating and loving you know and i feel like there's so much more space for that that's all i love you mom i love you too um the markroft family this is just a beautiful love story and it's a beautiful family story and Thanks for having the courage to come on and share your story because a lot of people have really complicated family things and they don't talk about them and they need examples like you of what you're doing to keep the family circle together. And and this is genuine family love. And um, I'm just struck with all three of you. So Quinn, you have a great life ahead of you and you are already doing incredible things and you are going to bless and save people. And um, so keep being you keep looking forward. Um, it's an honor to know you. It's an honor to meet you and to be able to just see the things that you're going to accomplish. And Rob and Kendall, thank you for helping us just know how to walk this road as parents. And a lot of people need the examples and the stories that you share, because I think we're wired to do what you're actually doing, um, loving and keeping our family circled together. Um, sometimes it gets complicated, but at the end of the day, Everything you've taught here is not complicated. You haven't given us some three, some complicated formula on how to do this. Everything you said, we as all parents can do. We can all love our kids and tell them we love them, put our arms around them. So thank you, Mark Ruff family, and thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thanks to Tom Gar- Garbett, our producer. Give him a shout out every now and then. And If you have time, please leave a review or rate the podcast on where you're listening.